You're listening to Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari, where NFL legends live on. Back to you, boys. It's him. He's alive. Now joining us and making his sixth appearance with us on the show is former Steelers and Jaguars Pro Bowl tackle Leon Searcy. Let me remind you about Leon's background. He's from Washington, D.C., played his college ball at the University of Miami, where he was a first-team All-American his senior year. He was a member of their 1987, 89, and 91 national championship team. He was elected to the University of Miami Sports Hall of Fame in 2003. He was a first-round draft pick, the number 11 selection overall by the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1992. Played in the league from 92 to 2002 for the Steelers, Jags, Ravens, and Dolphins. He was named to the Pro Bowl in 1999. He's an ESPN 30-for-30 30 30 sensation, having been featured in two of their episodes. And after his playing career, he spent a few seasons as the offensive line coach at Florida International University, as well as coaching youth football and some individual players as well. He's written an, autobi- uh, an autobiography titled Fourth Down and Dam, A Lineman Story. We're very excited. He is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Leon, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Leon. How you doing, Jim? It's been a long time. It has Great been a minute since that. we've had you on the show, Leon. Catch us up, my friend. What's going on with you? Oh, you know, right now, you know, I, I made my pilgrimage back to Jacksonville, and uh, I do a sports talk radio show, uh, flagship station for the Jaguars, uh, 1010XL, uh, from 12 to 3 o'clock. It's called Lunch with Leon. I do it Monday through Friday. Um um, so I've, you know, I've gotten myself settled in in Jacksonville. You know, I had to come back home, so to say, but I'm having a great time. You know, I've got my own cigar brand. And, uh, like you said, I've got my book, uh, Fourth Down the Damn Alignment Story. Uh, it's been, um, you know, it was number one on ha- Amazon's hot new releases, uh, football autobiography. So, uh, right now I'm, um, I'm, I'm setting my tour, uh, my book tour, the, 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 the tour of the, the, the country. And, you know, just tell some stories that are in the book and also stories that aren't in the book. I'm also in the works of doing the auto book, audio book next month for me and my co-author, uh, Mike Brodsky, who helped finalize my book. So uh, my book has been like a 10-year project, but I'm, I'm so excited of, uh, of the progress that, 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 that it's had. Leon, kind of wet our listeners' whistle for some of the stories that uh, they can look forward to, whether they read it or whether they listen to it on uh, on tape or uh, online. How? You know, what are some of the really great stories that uh, you can kind of tease out? Well, you know, I always tell the great story about when I, my draft day in 1992. Uh, I tell the story about, um, you know, waking up in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, and I couldn't sleep, and my dad was uh, at the house, and he was cooking breakfast, and we had breakfast in the morning. And then my me and my father, about an hour later after we finished eating, we saw walking the neighborhood to kind of remember where I came from. Walked the neighborhood, uh, you know, went to my old high, old my old high school, my old middle school. Uh, it took us about two hours to get there. And then when we got back to the house about nine thirty, you know, this was back in the day when the draft was at noon. It's not at prime time like it is now, at eight p.m. But the draft was at twelve o'clock. When we got back to the house about nine thirty, we get to the house and we've got media people all in the front yard you know, wanted to get an interview. And I was still a little bit concerned about where I was going to be drafted. I wasn't sure I was going to be a first-round pick. And a lot of the media people want to ask me questions and stuff like that. So uh, I remember walking through there saying no interviews or whatever. But there was one particular guy uh, who was in the lawn at the particular uh, – my dad knew because he used to come through the airport because he used to travel. 
uh, the late great uh, Stuart Scott. So my dad talked to Stuart Scott, and he said, uh, I told Stuart Scott, you know, when I get drafted, you know, you'll be the first guy, you know, that comes to my house and interviews me. So we get there. Uh, we're at the house. It's about 1030, and I get a phone call, and it's from Jimmy Johnson. I knew exactly who it was when I picked up the phone. He was like, Leon, how you doing? I said, I'm doing great, Coach. He said, how you feel about being a Dallas Cowboy? I said, Coach, I'm good. And typical Jimmy Johnson, he asked me, hey, Leon, you're not going to hold out, are you? I said, no, nah, Coach, if the money right, I'll be there. He said, well, you know what? We got a representative that's landed in Orlando. He'll be at your house in 30 minutes. He said, you're going to be a Dallas Cowboy. I said, okay, I'm fine with it. So I'm sitting there by 11 o'clock. The draft comes on at 12. And then um, a couple of picks go through or whatever. And then this guy comes in, rings the doorbell, comes in my house, big burly white guy with a cowboy hat, cowboy boots, and he's got a jersey over his shoulder. He goes in my kitchen, gets a beer, doesn't even ask for it, goes downstairs in the den. He's back there with my agent negotiating my contract. So I'm sitting there, and I'm comfortable because, you know, I think I'm going to be a Dallas Cowboy. And about the eighth pick in the draft, I get a phone call, and it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Bill Cowell says, Leon, he said, how you feeling? I said, I'm feeling great, Coach. He said, well. We got the 11th pick in the draft. He's going to be a Pittsburgh Steeler. And I was like, okay, I'm a little confused right now because Cowboys was in my house, but the Steelers said they're going to draft me 11th pick. So 11th pick comes up, call my name, family goes crazy, go wild. Everybody, you know, celebrating, mom, dad hugging me, crying or whatever. So the, I, I look back with my agent, the Dallas Cowboy guy, tears up the contract, but he's about to walk out the, the den and I see he has this Dallas Cowboy jersey that says Cersei on the back. So I asked the guy, I said, hey, man, before you leave, you know, let me get that jersey. And he turns around to me. He says, listen here, son. He said, you're, you're a stealer now. He said, a cowboy never give a stealer nothing. He walked out my house. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's oh, one of the funny. stories in the book. That's one of the stories in my book. That's fantastic. So, Leon, I, you know, when you... Join the Steelers. I mean, you're gonna you're in camp and you're gonna be going at, at practice against you know I mean the Greg Lloyd and Levon Kirkland, Chad Brown, all great friends of the show like you. Um, but those '90 Steelers defenses were some of the best ever. What was was practice harder than playing in the game on Sunday? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I I can remember being on the sidelines and watching those guys play because you know that's what the the whole premise and the concept of Blitzburg was established in the, uh, you know, the mid-90s because, like you said, I mean, we had Greg Lord, we had Lamar Kirkland, we had Chad Brown, we had Kevin Green, uh, and they brought, they brought the house. And, you know, the late, great Kevin Green, who's a brother to me, who passed away actually on my birthday, it sat me, hurt my heart, broke my heart, because Kevin Green actually helped develop me into an offensive lineman that I was because I had to go up against him every day in practice. And, you know, with his speed, his endurance, his physicality, his use of his hands, you know, helped me as an offensive lineman. So, because I had to go up against him every day in practice. So, uh, it saddened me when I heard the news, because I actually heard the news from a, a teammate of mine, Brinson Buckner. I was actually on Facebook. I was actually celebrating my birthday, December 21st. And Brinson Buckner hit me on Facebook and said, hey, man, you know, Kevin Green died. He passed away. He had a heart attack. He died in his son's arms. And I shed a tear because, you know, Kevin Green was like a brother to me because uh, we had this we had this long lasting friendship. He actually he actually mentioned me, you know, during his Hall of Fame speech. Um, so, you know, I attribute a lot of my success as an offensive lineman having to go up against him every day in practice. So 
it really hurt my heart when I heard that Kevin Green passed away. But, you know, those still are teams that I played on were some of the best times and some of the best times of my life as a football player. And unfortunately, Leon, um, Kevin wasn't the only great player from those Steelers teams that we lost this year. Tim Lester uh, passed away not long yes, ago Tim, as well. Yes, Tim Lester passed away. Yes, I was a good friend of Tim Lester as well. Uh, it saddened me to see him pass away too. You know, it's just it's just so sad because you know they died so young, and right. you know it's it's always it's always heart wrenching when you you know a guy. You know, I, you know I'm 50 years old now. And you, you hear guys like Kevin Green passed away, who was, what, 55? And Tim Lester was, you know, maybe 49 or 50 himself. So anytime guys, uh, you know, pass away so early, man, it just, you know, it puts your mortality in check and just makes you appreciate each and every day that you wake up in the morning. Let's talk about something a little happier. Um, your Miami <laughs> Hurricanes. Are back to being a, a pretty formidable program again. Finished eight and three this past season. Got back inside the top twenty-five. What are your thoughts about uh, their head coach Manny Diaz, and what are your expectations from your uh, your Hurricanes next season? Well, I mean, listen, the Hurricanes right now are average football team. You know, a lot of people tell me to lower the bar because you know Miami can't acquire the the, the, uh, the championship pedigree that we were. Uh, when I played, and I said, the hell with that, I said, the Alabamas do it, Ohio State's do it, the Clemsons do it. I mean, I don't want to hear about the University of Miami being back until each year, year in, year out. They compete for championships, and right now they're not there. Now, they're making progress. You know, 8-3 and three is a lot better than 6-7. and seven. You know, 6-7, and seven, I mean, you lose games to uh, Duke, FIU, and, and La Tech. And, you know, and, and um, you know, uh, Manny Diaz uh, uh, behind was on the fryer when that happened, when they lost those games, three games in a row. And, you know, he did an adequate time, job this year. And I'm going to be hard on him because, you know, um, I mean, that's the house that I helped build. And right now, you know, Manny Diaz is, uh, is a tenant. He, he's got to pay rent. And until he starts winning the way we were winning, um, I'm always going to be, it's always going to be suspect to what kind of job he's doing as a head coach. Bob, questions for Leon? Leon, it's always a pleasure to have you back and welcome back. And, uh, I, I want to get back to your, your incorporation into the, uh, the Steelers organization. You know, Tim, we, we will, we had just talked about, uh, that defense, Leon, and how good it was. And uh, I always thought the offensive lines back then didn't get enough credit because the defenses were so good. You know, you, yourself, Hasselrig, Love, these guys were very, very talented players. Love had been in the league a while before uh, he got to Pittsburgh, and, and uh, these guys really went under the radar screen. But uh, they were there when you got there in your rookie year. Did either of those two guys kind of take you under their wing and, and maybe some other guys in that team that made your – rookie year more comfortable? Well, I mean, I think the best thing for me is when I came in as a rookie, uh, uh, you know, I, I came in, when I signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers, I signed a four-year deal, $4 million, $1.5 million to sign. That was my contract. And I was automatically the third highest paid offensive, that was the third highest player on the team. And I remember walking in the locker room, you know, after I had signed, and I remember walking up to Tunch Ilkin, who was like a 13, 14-year pro, at the, 
that particular time, he asked me, he said, okay, he said, okay, Rook, you got paid now. He said, now what? He said, you in this for the long, you in this for the short term or the long term? I said, I'm in this for the long term. He said, well, what I need you to do is do whatever I say. And that's what I did. I mean, Tunch Ilkin was my mentor, as well as Damani Dawson, Duvall Love, John Jackson, Colin Hasterick. I had veteran leadership in front of me. So whatever they did professionally, you know, I followed. I followed suit. I put my ego aside. I know it was a first-round pick, but I knew I wanted to be in there for the long run. So whatever they told me to do professionally as far as weightlifting, getting up early, eating right, getting sleep, uh, watching film, um, taking notes, all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, that, that was entrenched in me early on that allowed me to carry that on for an 11-year career. So, I mean, I think those guys to this day, and when I talk to them, I thank them to this day because I wouldn't have had the profound career that I had as an offensive lineman if I didn't have the veteran leadership in the locker room that I had with still. You mentioned about taking care of yourself, Leon. Uh, I always like to talk to our former players about their off-season regimen. So take me back during your career about the first, second week of February. You're still kind of fresh off the season. Uh, what would your first few weeks be like after the season, and, and when would you still – uh, when would you start working out again, and et cetera, and, and the rest of the way up until training camp? Well, I was fortunate enough throughout my career that, you know, I never missed the playoffs. I made the playoffs mm-hmm. every, every year that I played. As a, so usually when, if we were, you know, usually we were, our season was over uh, somewhere maybe uh, early January, mid-January, or even in the Super Bowl when we played Super Bowl 30. Uh, that game was January 25th. So I usually took a, maybe a couple of weeks off to relax, spend some time with the family. Uh, but then I was back on the grind. I was back, you know, uh, hitting the pavement, you know, running, conditioning, uh, doing all the stuff, eating right. Uh, so I mean, uh, I didn't really take that much time off because I know the NFL is so competitive. And I always gave myself a competitive edge because I always said to myself that who are, whoever I'm going up against uh, that next season, I always said to myself, he's sleep, he's comfortable. So I always used to get up early in the morning, get my work, my road work in, get my heel work in, and hit the treadmill, hit the weights, and then you know I you know I had a regimen of, of my diet and I worked my techniques and fundamentals and like that. So I really, to be quite honest with you, probably like a lot of these kids today. I mean, you don't really have an off season, to be quite honest with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, at most you might have a week off, two weeks off, maybe in three weeks off, but you're right back to work because the NFL is so competitive. And you always want to keep that edge uh, as a player. And the, the ones that last the longest are the ones that uh, are due diligent when it comes to staying in the best possible condition that they can. Leon, you, you mentioned perhaps the most painful memory. I'm a huge Steelers fan from Pittsburgh. And the most painful memory, the most painful game I ever watched was Super Bowl Thirty, And... Every time, every year around this time, we get reminded of it because they replay all the highlights from all the Super Bowl games. But 25 years later, I wanted to get your thoughts about the game and if you ever talked to Neil O'Donnell about what happened. Uh, no, I, I've never talked to Neil O'Donnell about what happened. I, I think that uh, as much as those two interceptions hurt us in the game, I think also maybe the first quarter and a half, 
hurt us just as much because we started off slow. I mean, the Cowboys played like they, they had been there before, like they had been there before. And we played like we had just gotten there. And that's why it took us so long to get jump started. And before you know it, we were down 10 to nothing, you know, going, you know, going into the half. Um, so I think if, if we had started, if we had to stick to our game plan, which was running the ball, protecting well, play action, take your shots down the field. Uh, I think the, I think the transition of winning the game would have been a lot smoother for us if we had started the way we kind of finished. I mean, I, I know we finished with throwing the interception, but I mean, we had the Cowboys on their heels, uh, towards the middle of the third quarter and towards the end of the fourth quarter. Uh, but, um, we just started too late. I think that if we had played the way we played maybe in the second half, I think the game would have been a wash, uh, because we controlled, the, we controlled the clock, we ran the ball, we took our shots down the field and our defense was outstanding. Uh, we just put it, we put our defense in a predicament because we, we gave their offense a short field with the interceptions. And, you know, when you've got the, we got Aikman and you've got Emmett and you got Michael Irvin, you know, if you give them a short field, I mean, they're going to dissect you no matter what team you're playing against. So we did our defense a disservice by those two interceptions. I think if we had to play it a lot better offensively, it started a little faster offensively, you know, we would have put, we would have never put our defense in that predicament where they had to, they had to defend the short field. Leon, your offensive coordinator there was Ron Earhart, a guy who was an offensive coordinator and a head coach for the Patriots back in the late 70s, early 80s. But uh, a guy we don't get to hear an awful lot about as uh, his contribution to the Steelers and that coaching staff. Talk about what Coach Earhart did for you guys. Well, what, what, what Coach Earhart did is um, he, was a, he was a run-based coordinator. I remember being in the offensive coordinator room with the offensive line with the whole offense in there. And what he wanted, what he essentially wanted to do is he wanted the offensive line to get their groove on, so to say. So he would give us like our top 10 plays. And out of those 10 plays, at least seven to eight of them were run plays. So he would always ask us what you like. Okay. We want trap. We want zone. Uh, we want counter. Uh, we want dive play. So he wanted, he always wanted his offensive line to get, because if you ask any offensive lineman, you know, he would rather run block than pass protect. So they were, the, our first 10 plays were always, uh, at least seven to eight of those plays were run plays to get the offensive line juices going. So it would be traps, it would be counters, it would be toss cracks, it would be dive plays, you know, so we can get after, get after the defense. So, um, our reason Expected Ron Earhart for that that part because he knew what kind of offense we had a big physical offensive line that could run and pull and trap and all that kind of stuff. So he would always essentially give us our plays, kind of get us get us in the groove. Uh, he wasn't concerned about the pass play because he knew that if you ran the ball effectively, that would essentially sub the pass play and the play action. So we always be in the meeting room and ask the offensive line what plays do we like, and we would essentially tell them you know, what plays that we felt that would be more effective. So there were always plays that we would always be able to get after the defense with. And obviously, Leon, you played all those years in Pittsburgh with Bill Cower, maybe the most animated head coach ever. Um, your thoughts, what was it like being uh, being on the sidelines and in, the, in, in practice with Bill Cower? And what's your favorite Cower story? 
Well, the one thing with Bill, I mean, he, he gets, I mean, uh, when he gets going, you know, uh, you might have to wear a raincoat around him because, you know, that the spirit is flying <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. But two, but two, uh, Coach Cowell, I love Coach Cowell. I mean, Coach Cowell is probably my second favorite coach I've ever been coached at all time. Jimmy Johnson being my first. But Bill Cowell was, uh, he was a player's coach. He was hard but fair. You know, uh, he understood the morale of uh, he was the type of coach that you will run you will run into a brick wall for because he was he was as passionate and loved the game of, fo- of football as much as we did uh so it, it, that, there's 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 a reason why we had so much success when he was there as a head coach because we loved playing for him absolutely loved playing for him and you know I've got a special uh keynote towards coach Cowell because you know hell I was his first pick ever as a head coach uh, in 1992. Um, so uh, I love Bill Cowell. I loved everything about Bill Cowell. Bob, one more for Leon before we let him go. And I just want to say on that coaching stuff, Leon, I mean, you ended your career playing for Coughlin, but a lot of success up here in the New York area, obviously. Kind of a more offensive type of guy, but compare and contrast him and Cowell as coaches. Um, similar sort to say. Uh, both of them had a love and a passion for football. Both both guys were a stickler on discipline and doing the right things. Both were a stickler on accountability. Uh, both were a stickler on being professional. And um, they were both love and very passionate about the game of football. I mean, I, you know what? I, I look back at my career and I think about how blessed I was as a player to have been coached by Jimmy Johnson. Dennis Erickson, Bill Cowher, Tom Coughlin. Mm. I mean, you're talking about three out of the four are going to be in the Hall. I mean, two. I mean, Jimmy and Bill are already in the Hall of Fame. Tom Coughlin's going to be next. So, I mean, shoot, three out of four of the coaches that coached me in my career are Hall of Famers. They don't get no better than that. Leon, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can listen to your radio show, get some of your cigars, and then also get your book. Okay, well, my radio show is uh, it's uh, Ten Ten XL. Uh, you can go to Ten Ten XL dot com. Uh, the radio show is called XL Prime Time uh, Lunch with Leon uh, from from twelve to three o'clock. It's the flagship station of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, my cigar brand is uh, I have my own cigar called Leon Cersei All Pro Series Cigar. You can actually uh, get the cigar at howardgcigars.com. Also, we, we did a cigar for Ike Taylor, who's a time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He has a cigar out called One of a Kind. So he's a part of the All-Pro brand. And you can go get my book, Fourth Down and Damn, a lineman story uh, at Amazon. Uh, you can download uh, on Kindle or you can buy the paperback. And, Leon, how can our listeners follow you on social media as well? On social media, you can go uh, You can go to uh, Twitter. I'm on Cersei underscore Leon. You can go to uh, Instagram. I'm on LL Cersei Jr. And Facebook, you can go, you can look, uh, look me up at Leon Cersei Jr. Well, Leon, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. It's great catching up with you. We hope you uh, come back and join us again soon. 
I appreciate it. Don't don't make this the last time. Absolutely <laughs> not. Wouldn't think of it. Lance, stay, well, stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Thank you very much. You as well. Take care. See you, Leon. That's a great Leon Searcy, folks. Bob, um, a guy that was a tremendous player, and I always hate the fact that uh, he didn't finish his career as a Steeler, and we've talked to him in the past, and it didn't really end well between he and the Steelers. I think there were some you know, not-so-great communications that I think both sides uh, regret now, but uh, what a tremendous player and what a great guy. Got some great memories, like you said, playing for some great coaches. Uh, man, that probably made him such a great, such a better player. And uh, again, I love the name of his uh, his show, Chris. Lunch with Leon and a guy his size. Those must be very good lunches, right? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> there's a reason why there's an XL on that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, always a pleasure having Leon either on TV or radio. He's great. All right, we've got our next guest, Tony Collins, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Tony on the other side of this real quick station break.